With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, Hawkeye Nation. This is Joe Hugan, back with you after an exciting victory of of, uh, that Iowa game on Saturday. And with me, back from vacation, a well-deserved vacation, is Steve Days. Hey, Steve. Hey, Joe. How you doing, man? Hey, doing well, doing well. Um, Get this down here. I did a little bit of uh, Chuck Berry. Uh, You never can tell because with these Hawkeyes, well, it seems that you never can. Um... Man, what what are you uh, what are you thinking about uh, these Hawkeyes now? I know we were a little bit uh, concerned with the uh, opening of the season and with the two immediate drops right off the bat, how they would react and respond. But to me, this Iowa team has probably got to be one of the best in the Big Ten right now, just for the momentum standpoint uh, going forward. You know, one of the things we're seeing across the country is when teams fall out of their preseason goals, they fall hard. Uh, you have you've seen that at Penn State. Of course, you guys got a first uh, you know a, 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 you know a firsthand glimpse of that last week in Happy Valley, because you know you throw in the additional social distancing that goes on, um, no guarantee of a game the next week, all the daily testing and everything else. For a lot of these guys, I think for a lot of fans, maybe we kind of know the grind it is to be a college football player, but unless you have covered it or you've been one or you know one on a personal level, it's really hard to understand uh, unless you have that kind of a perspective, Joe. And the season is the reward for all of that. The games are the reward for all of that. And so when you take the season now and you say, hey, you can't celebrate with your classmates, you can't go out and celebrate with your teammates, go right home, um, you got to you got to do the, the testing and take the nasal swab every single day, and then wait for your results. Um, we don't know if there's a given game every single week, so you might be doing all of this work and then find out, like Clemson and Florida State, two hours before kickoff last week, there's not going to be a game. You know, we're dealing with 18 to 22 year old. They're not kids, all right. We've got people stationed all over the world with a gun in their hand and a uniform that same exact age. They're not kids, but they are young adults. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I'm 46 now. I'm a little more mature than I was at 21. I would assume you would probably think you are. You take maybe more of a long-term view of things than you do um, at that age. 
um, you, you take the, a lot of the, the incentives and rewards for being a, a college football player, you take them away, or even if you do everything right, it's not guaranteed. And you're seeing throughout college football right now that when teams fall, they fall. And they miss several weeks of games with COVID issues on top of that because guys don't want to do the protocols anymore. So what does that mean to the answer to what you, the, the question you just asked me? I think it is exceedingly impressive what the football program at Iowa has done. First of all, just to rally from an 0-2, and you're probably already out of your division title race, just to do that. But then to do it after what I think was probably the worst offseason any program in our league has had since Penn State with Sandusky, and I'm not drawing a moral equivalency. I'm just saying situationally, because what went on at Penn State, they should have salted the earth of the campus. What we're talking about here, though, situationally, is the other scarlet letter in our culture is when it comes to race. And the Iowa program has been wrestling with that for the entire offseason. To overcome that, then start 0-2, man, if there was ever a program in the country, Joe, that had every incentive to just lay down and say, man, I'm out, I'm, you know, pour one out, see you next year, um, it would be this one. And they not only haven't done that, but you're right, they've rallied to play as well as any team in the conference the last few weeks, except for maybe Ohio State and Indiana and Northwestern. And then after that's probably Iowa. And I think that's really impressive for this football program and for the culture that Kirk Ferentz has established. I think that, that there's more going on here than just um, X's and O's. Yeah, no, it's it's impressive. I mean, not only from uh, a personnel standpoint, because we have a lot of talent, but we've only lost by a total of five points, which I hate to point out because it really, uh, <laughs> really stings. If we would have been able to somehow get the the season going off right but I don't know I mean maybe it, it took a loss I mean we look at uh, um, past seasons where we had an early stumble and then we go on to uh, do great things in 2002 we lost to Iowa State different situation we have obviously had a lot stacked against us this year um, from an emotional standpoint but man we, we've scored 35 points or more in the last three games and done so pretty convincingly our passing game is struggling um, but getting better and these guys seem to be on every phase of the game, defense, offensive running, um, special teams, is just really, you know, taking it uh, taking it a, a step further. So hopefully uh, with the next three games that we have, we can make a bid towards that Big Ten championship game. But it looks like uh, Northwestern's kind of got it wrapped up with Wisconsin um, not being able to play Minnesota, which is kind of uh, a uh, – interesting thing in and of itself because um, Wisconsin seemingly had a uh, opportunity for a Big Ten berth uh, to the championship even though they had missed two games so I don't know that, that that's crazy what, what do you think about that uh, that game being canceled with uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin well you know there there are what I would call three big culture programs in our league meaning they develop players beyond their recruiting profile because of the culture that's there. Um, I would say it's Iowa, Wisconsin, and Northwestern. That doesn't mean that Ohio State doesn't have a great culture. They do, but they're also recruiting at a level that the Much three higher. schools I just mentioned obviously are not. Yeah. All right. And what has really surprised me this year is 
to see Wisconsin become unraveled in a year when culture and experience are paying off all over college football. Uh, to just see them become unraveled, they, they couldn't handle the COVID thing in the offseason. They couldn't handle it in training camp. They couldn't handle it during the season. I'm just, if, man, if we would have draw, if you'd have told me, Steve, you know what, um, 14 teams, pick the one that you think is going to see its season and all of its ambitions just, you know, crushed because it can't, couldn't handle COVID. Wisconsin would have been at about the bottom of the list if we were doing a COVID survivor pool. You'd probably agree with me on yeah, that. Yeah. And they, it's just unraveled them as a program this year. Um, so 2020, I guess, I don't know what to say. I mean, I, I would have suspected, you know, uh, like a team like a Maryland, as we've seen in the last couple of weeks, that they would have been the ones to yeah. kind of come unraveled by this, not a Wisconsin. And now when you look at the big 10 West, I mean, basically Iowa needs Northwestern to lose two times or three times uh, because they have a tiebreaker and they don't have any losses and you have two. Yep. So I don't know that there's a guarantee that you got anybody's playing three more games. No, the way things yeah. are going right now. So if Northwestern beats Michigan State, Northwestern's going to be in the Big Ten championship game. Yeah. We all know that. They beat Michigan State on Saturday. It's pretty much at that point now, uh, a, you know, uh, a, a, a Newtonian lock, a law <laughs> of physics. So it's a tremendous season by them. You got Anybody that knows me knows I've had a years-long man crush on Pat Fitzgerald <laughs> and what he went out there and did uh, after the game against Wisconsin last week. We talked smack in about the most Pat Fitzgerald way ever, just completely and totally in your face, but with a smile and, a, and, a, and some dignity attached to it, referencing Joey Galloway's commentary that if it was switched around, we'd all call racist uh, when he said, hey, Northwestern's defense, Reese, it looks like it's got a bunch of Reese Davises on it, a bunch of, you know, the fighting <laughs> yep. Reese Davises, yep. basically saying a bunch of slow white guys. Yep. All right. If the commentary there was reversed, everybody would be getting fired. But you know, that's the double standard we're in today. And, you know, for, for Pat to go right out there and mention that in this uh, right on an, an uh, ABC ESPN family network, family of networks right after the game. And then, th then give a personal shout out to Joey Galloway for helping to motivate his team uh, for this win. Uh, that's just a, that's this. Th see, that's what I thought we'd see out of Wisconsin this year. And we just didn't. But the other two big program uh, culture programs in our league, you're seeing them respond now. Uh, we've already talked about Iowa, and now you're seeing it with Northwestern. They're looking at going from first to worst to first. I don't know that that's ever happened in a major, in a power co conference in the history of college football. I'm sure someone is going to research that, but Northwestern's about, I know it's not happened in the Big Ten, no. and so Northwestern's about to pull that off, it looks like. Well, and they didn't even look like a great team at the beginning of the year, and that's what, what's kind of frustrating. Um, <laughs> we we really had. I mean, it was. 20, I think they've 20. had over 300 yards in one game this year. Yeah, or, or maybe it's 320 yards in one game this year. Which, by today's college football standards, that is anemic offense. Yep. Uh, but they and that was against Maryland, the opening game of the season. But what they do have is what I talked about with you in the off season, Joe. Peyton Ramsey has settled that team down. Go look at last year's record, but then look at this. Look at the games that they played. And look at how many games Northwestern lost last year when it gave up 21 points or fewer. That's really, really good defense in today's college football, right. 21 points or fewer. And they lost a ton of games like that. Well, now they've got a quarterback who is competent, mature, and then, on third, and, then third and five becomes a running down 
because he can scamper for the first down. Yep. And, you know, Northwestern likes to make you play in a phone booth. Uh, their favorite pass is the check down. Ramsey's very accurate on short throws, and he's got nimble feet. He was perfect for their system. They, he was going to settle down uh, what went on in that program last year, and I think you're watching that play out right now. Well, it looked like when Penn State, we were playing them last week, uh, this past Saturday, they were doing a little bit of what Northwestern was, and they had some success. I mean, that's where they got some of their points and some of their drives on Iowa. I didn't know why they went away from that, but um, their defense, I think at the beginning of the year, you know, I think you were saying that they were probably one of the better defenses. Um, I know they had some personnel losses, but Iowa just crushed it in the defensive side of the ball. Um, they were getting into the quarterback. They were really you know, wrecking havoc. The running game wasn't producing any fruit for Penn State, and it just seemed like we couldn't do anything wrong. Um, it, was, it was just fun to watch, uh, finally seeing a, a team kind of come together. Um, Davion Nixon doing well, well, it. Well, Iowa's also defying one of my longtime college football mottos, you can't hide your quarterback. They're <laughs> hiring Spencer Petras pretty well right now because uh, he's not playing that good. No, he, he's not. They're just dominating people on the line of scrimmage, so it doesn't matter. But that's the difference. If you want to know the difference, if you want to know why Northwestern is in total control of its own destiny for the Big Ten West and Iowa isn't, go back to that game, flip the quarterbacks. Yeah. If you flip the quarterbacks, and I see Peyton Ramsey is not great, but he can make the one or two or three uh, throws that – in the kind of system both Iowa and Northwestern want to play, will win that game against the other team. Spencer Peters can't make that play right now, and that's the difference. That's why Iowa is is not going to be in the Big Ten championship game, and Northwestern is. The difference is the quarterback position. Well, and I said that's kind of why Brian was wanting to get Petrus, like even though everybody was saying, you know, they've got to run, stop throwing the ball at all, we got to run, we got to run, which is true. We did have to run, make them, uh, you know, keep on running until they stop you. But I was just making the comment, you know, he, he's got to learn. He has to be able to throw that throw uh, throughout the season, or otherwise there's not going to be much of a postseason if he can't develop that. So you, you really couldn't go away from that. Um, they've, they've tried a couple shots here and there, but we have, I read that we had three of the best pass uh, blockers in the Big Ten run the line. Tyler Linderbaum, um, Lyric Jackson, and uh, who's the other one? Well, I can't remember the other one right now, but we have three of the, the top-graded Big Ten um, pass-rushing offensive linemen, and but we can't we can't throw the ball. So, but you, that kind of tells and that's you that's all on the quarterback. He it has is. a running game. This is the best fleet of receivers that Iowa has had probably since the DJK McNutt years. Yep. Uh, when they were together, so we're going back almost a decade now. Yep. Um, you look at that offensive line. I mean, Larry Jackson, I think, is going to be a first-round pick next April. I think that you'll see Tyler Lindebaum be a, you know, a, maybe a second-day pick, a second- or third-round pick uh, the April after that. So and you look at the running backs, uh, the running back situation you have there with Tyler Goodson, who is obviously a freak in space. And when you're running behind the offensive line that Iowa has, there's a lot of space. Makai Sargent, uh, that's his quality of a backup running back as there is in the entire Big Ten Conference. Oh, it's, it's, so he's good with what he's when, got. When yeah. This is where I would be worried as an Iowa fan moving forward is that supporting cast won't be better next year, right? Yep. Those receivers aren't all back next year. That offensive line won't return intact next year. Um, this is about the best situation a Spencer Peters could have asked for uh, to step in as a first-time starter uh, at Iowa with the supporting cast 
And I think the number one thing, if I'm an Iowa fan, I'm looking for down the stretch of the season, however long it is, is I I need to see him take a step forward because next year you're going to need more out of him. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah. Um, well, and a lot of people have been calling for Padilla, but I just don't think that's a Kirk Ferentz move. He's not going to throw Padilla into this, you know, this kind of situation, especially late in the season. I don't think we're going to see anybody else but Petrus. He's he's already been you know halfway over halfway through the yeah, season. I wouldn't make that move now that you've stabilized your season. I think if you had fallen zero zero and three, you take a look at it because now you're really playing for next year and everybody knows that, right? Yep. But yep. there's a real chance to who knows what the postseason is going to look like. But there's a real chance for Iowa to get one of the premier bids in the league now. Probably doesn't mean as much to Iowa fans, and I doubt you're going to be allowed to travel to that game, (laughs) okay? Like, this would be the worst luck. We're bringing in that new Las Vegas Bowl into our league this year. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How much would it suck that that Iowa gets picked for that game, but y'all can't go out to the game? Because how many in a normal year? How many Iowa fans would go out to that one? Oh, absolutely. In Vegas? Oh, yeah. That'd be a fun town. So, to me, I I think you're out of the championship hunt right now. But you have, but you're playing good football. I, I need to see what I have out of Spencer Petras. If, if the team was 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 out of it, had started 0-3, then you make a move like like you know my favorite team has done, and that's, hey, you know what? It's obvious Joe Milton wasn't the guy. Let's see what we got in Kate McNamara right now. Let's play for next year right now. That's what Michigan is doing. But Iowa has a lot going on right now this year. You honor the commitment those guys have made to stick with the program, not give up, to not lay down, playing their ass off. You don't send them a signal that you're playing for next year as coaches at all. You you ride this out now from a culture standpoint with Spencer Petras. You give him every opportunity to prove he's the guy. And if he doesn't take a step forward here uh, between now and the final week of December 19th, then you go into the bowl practice, provided you have one. And certainly, if you want to do it there, you certainly do it in spring practice. You reopen the competition. But for this year's team, if I'm the Iowa coaching staff, I am not making any kind of move to signal I'm playing for next year because I have uh, – I've got a guy – my guys are still busting their ass for me. I, and I want, I want to sustain that culture, especially after the offseason we had. Yep. No, I, I agree. Um, they, they, they still have a lot to play for. I mean, we have three, three games left. Um, it could still be a great season with, two, with only two losses in the Big Ten, you know. I, I think it's very doable. Uh, the Nebraska, Illinois, and Wisconsin uh, left on the schedule. Very doable to uh, to win all three of those games. Um, Nebraska has fallen very far from the echelons of 1990s. Um, uh, I guess they're growing mustaches for the Iowa game. I don't know how that helps uh, them win this game coming uh, on Friday. But uh, going back to, the, uh, to to looking at some of the coaches around the Big Ten, um, obviously they thought uh, – Kirk Ferentz might have been on the hot seat early this year. I don't think that that's even mm-hmm. uh, remotely there. Um, I know we could have some coaching changes within the Big Ten 
um, looking at uh, your 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 man um, Harbaugh, and then uh, Franklin. I know has too big of a contract, but he he's done not a great job. Again, it is 2020, so who knows if any of those those um, situations will happen. But then also Scott Frost. I mean, this guy has done little to nothing uh, for Nebraska football fans. Um, what are your thoughts on some coaching changes that might uh, might occur due to lack of uh, uh, fruit in the Big Ten? Well, there's the COVID factor here. Um, and for some schools, COVID will be the reason that they don't make a change that they probably should <clears throat> because they can't afford it. For other schools, COVID will be the reason that they do make the change that they need to make. And they might be even more aggressive. I think you saw that at South Carolina last week because you're taking such a massive financial hit this year that you every that at, at the at the top of the power five you really need next year to be balls to the wall financially to make up for this year you know i know gary barda has talked about you know getting a bridge loan for this year to cover some losses things of that nature yep. and you can do that short term but you start getting into now you have another entire fiscal year that has been blown up you start now i mean your value and rating uh, starts to go down in terms of what kind of what kind of credit deal can I really get, and then how long do I want to have to pay that thing off? Yep. So I, I, these the, the 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 schools that you just mentioned are probably more in the latter category, meaning that they can't afford to now. Hey, let's say like I don't believe next year you will be allowed full attendance at games either. More likely, it'll be half. It'll be piecemeal. Let's assume I'm right about that. But then let's assume I'm even, you know, in fact, let's assume I'm not. Let's assume they let you sell out the stadiums. There's going to be, number one, a percentage of fans that will still be squeamish to go post-pandemic. <clears throat> so you have to factor that into your budget. And then secondly, if we don't have energy, momentum, I've, I've already demonstrated, my fans have already learned, you know, the most dangerous thing you can do when you're marketing any product show is be forced into a situation where your customer – you have shown your customers that they can live without it. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Okay. And a lot of people that were probably already thinking this way have learned this year, you know, I can go to Walmart right now, right now, today. I can go to Walmart and I can buy a 65-inch Vizio TV. That's a well-made TV with a major name brand. I can go buy a 65-inch Vizio TV for probably under 500 bucks. And if I want 4K, it might be maybe 600 bucks. And how much does it cost me to buy my season tickets to park for a beer and then, and then dragging the kids there and then the hassle and the arguments and then dealing with the traffic, which you really hate with after we lose, right? A lot of people may have, a lot more people may have decided this year, you know, I, I can just have a fun experience from home and just invite, instead of being surrounded by nitwits, um, or, you know, I just invite the seven or eight, nine, ten people I really enjoy, and we just watch it here at my house. Those are all factors from a marketing standpoint you have to be considering as an athletic director next year and as an administration that you really, you really need to eliminate reasons for people to not buy tickets because already they've got several. The TVs are only getting cheaper. I'm maybe still squeamish about sitting in a crowd. Now throw in, I think my program has lost momentum, and so it's an arm and a leg to go and do this 
you know, it, you know, and, and then if they're good at the end of the year, I'll just jump on StubHub or something, <laughs> yep. you know, and then go at the end of the year when I'm assured that they're good. Well, when you do budgets and things like that, man, you can't budget that. You're budgeting for season tickets because that money's already in the bank. And so I think this, some of the schools that you just mentioned get into it where COVID now becomes the incentive to make that move. Now, at Nebraska, there's no way they're making that move. They're going to give him at least one more year, at least one more. Um, so I don't think that's a hot seat situation at all. I do think, though, that they can have one interesting offseason if the end of the year is a meltdown for them. Penn State, you mentioned the James Franklin buyout. But something to keep an eye on there maybe is ESPN had this story last week. There's a, a legal action going on, and it was uh, alleged that James Franklin told a player to, to not talk to the police or tell the police the truth. I can't remember which it is. Um, if you decide that, hey, this guy's lost the team, and they're not having a good recruiting year for them either. He's even admitted this publicly. He even publicly admitted, hey, this is not a good recruiting year for us, which – if you're one of their current commits, I don't know, maybe you might be thinking about whether you still want to go there. <laughs> okay. But if, if you're looking, you know, for one way you get out of that buyout is you fire a guy for cause. Yep. And so that legal issue, I don't, that, it's, you know, and, and I'm not close enough to their program to know, <clears throat> you know, keep in mind that coming into this year, he had a chance to do something that not even Joe Paterno ever did. And that's win uh, 11 games, four out of five seasons. And, but they're now the first team in the history of the AP poll to start in the top 10 and start the season 0 5. It's never happened. That is crazy. Um, first time in the, in the history rankings of. rankings were introduced in the 60s. What yeah. was that? Well, yeah, and it's, it's the first time they've ever uh, gone 0 and 5 uh, in As program a program, history. they've yeah. ever gone 0 and 5. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know what the situation is there with uh, their AD and any kind of relationship and whether they're going to just say, hey, this guy's done a good job up until now. It's just a COVID year. We're going to call it an outlier. And then we see if, you know, he brings the team back next year. But if they wanted to get rid of him, they, they, that legal proceeding could be some kind of a for-cause situation to try to get out of a buyout. That's something to keep in mind. Well, that's interesting. The other school that I saved for last you asked me about was, um, uh, was Michigan. I think the Michigan situation, that is something I'm very close to. I think that situation is very fluid. Okay. Um, I think if they lose Saturday at against Penn, a winless Penn State, it's going to be DEFCON 1.5, which is where it was after losing uh, to as bad as they did to Wisconsin all over again. Because of what we just said about Penn State, they're off the rails right now. Yep. Um, if he beats Penn State, uh, beats Maryland, if they can even play that game in a couple of weeks, and gets to 500, then a lot of this talk is going to die down unless they go out there and get 60 burgered by Ohio state again, like they did the last time they went to Columbus yep. or they get just absolutely annihilated and humiliated. And then you're going to see this thing go to DEFCON one. We're going to be playing war games. Then Michigan's not going to fire Jim Harbaugh. That's never going to happen. Okay. Um, but could, there could absolutely be a situation where it is made abundantly clear. It is time for an amicable, one of those Iowa jump online. You don't want to, you know, blow the kids up. So you jump online and do one of those 90-day no-contest divorces. You know what I'm saying? Yep, okay. Yep. Um, that could happen at Michigan because they would absolutely be a school that has to be worried about um, where their fan base is at from a season ticket sales standpoint, from a marketing merchandising standpoint. 
uh, if if you have another absolute uh, depanting uh, at the hands of Ohio State. So I think the Michigan situation is 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 very fluid and probably is goes on a week to week basis depending on how they finish the season here. Yeah, no, I I agree. I, I hope he. Hope... The other thing complicating the Michigan situation is they're having a really good recruiting year. They're going to sign the highest-rated quarterback they've ever signed, the five-star kid McCarthy out of Illinois, and they're and they're already off to a great start the following year. And keep in mind, the Michigan AD Ward Manuel was a teammate of Jim Harbaugh's at Michigan. He's a football guy, and so he doesn't he's he's he knows more about the recruiting class than the average athletic director does, and so that's going to factor into the calculus here too because. The signing period is the first is I think December. It's the Wednesday before the last games of the year, so like the 16th. Yeah. And so, via if you're if you're Ward Manual, you just maybe say nothing. You let you let that you let you see who in that class goes ahead and signs on that signing period, and then you let the Ohio State game play out. And if you get humiliated and you have to make a move, you make the move, and and you and those LOIs are in, and that gives a new coach a chance to re-recruit that class. So. There's a lot of moving parts with what's happening at Michigan right now. No, um, I agree. And hopefully Harbaugh can figure it out. Uh, he's, he's fun to have in uh, the Big Ten. I think he's better. The Big Ten is better to have him in the Big Ten. Um, hopefully uh, the, the recruiting for him doesn't seem like it's ever been a huge deal. But, um, yeah, definitely if what you're saying, he's got one of the best recruiting classes. That would be interesting to see for next year. Um, kind of something uh, I had talked about with you um, well, probably uh, a couple days ago, with uh, Iowa State doing as well as they are, um, you know, potentially going for a Big 12 um, championship game. If they don't make that game, I know a lot of people have been talking about a potential bowl game. Um, it would be kind of fun to see Iowa and Iowa State in a bowl game since we missed our, our rivalry game. Um, but thinking about next year's competition, they've obviously got a lot of guys coming back. Uh, we've got mm -hmm. some departures interested in like where we would be sitting we got the rivalry game back for our basketball season the rivalry game hopefully would be continuing for big 10 play um next year how do they do the potential scheduling uh, now that um it's kind of an off year we would have had it at kinnick but it would go back yeah. to to iowa state um yeah that's one of the things i had been thinking about how how do you think that that would play out well there's a there's a there's a lot of First of all, the idea of an Iowa State bowl game I don't believe will happen because the biggest selling point would be the traveling of the fans to that. I remember when I was still doing sports talk radio, I think it was 04, 05, one of those years, we really, really uh, used my show. And, I mean, I, I, I must have called the Alamo Bowl pretty much every day trying to convince them to get Iowa and Iowa State and have them play. Um, because they would, we, it would be a guaranteed sellout. Well, that's not going to happen this time. And so I think, I think television brands, particularly with there's no win requirement this year, remember that now, yep. okay? There's no win requirement in order to get into a bowl game. And so I, I, I really think that this is all going to be uh, – I'm not, I'm not saying, eight, let's say Penn State goes winless and gets a bowl bid over a team with a winning record, but I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, I, I think this is all going to be television. Now, once you get past the New Year's Six, I'm talking about. Uh, so, and Iowa not, and Iowa isn't a competitor, isn't a competitor for that. And if Iowa State isn't in the Big Twelve, they won't be either. 
I think once we get past those New Year's Six Bowl games that are set by college football playoff rankings, everything else is going to be, uh, you know, as much about t- TV pairings as much as possible about teams in the stands. Uh, in terms of next season for Iowa State, I mean, given what the NCAA has said, technically every team has everybody coming back next year. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Now we know that's not going to happen. A lot of these schools are not going to be able to afford extra scholarships, right? Even Wisconsin on the spring sports, remember. Uh, when the NSA said you could bring your spring sport athletes and give them an extra year, Barry Alvarez was like, hey, we're not, we can't afford that. We're not doing yeah. that. And Iowa dropped programs. So not, yeah, not every school is going to be able to afford the extra scholarships that grant extra eligibility. A lot of, a lot of guys that you would like to give an extra year to are going to leave and go pro. So I don't know that you're going to see as many teams and players taking advantage of that gift here as maybe a lot of fans assume. But right now, if you look at Iowa State's roster, I look at I looked at it over the weekend, and who I think is likely to go stay, I think they're looking at a minimum of 16 to 17 starters back. Brees Hall is not yet uh, not yet uh, eligible for the draft. Um, I, I think Brock Purdy's draft status. There was a lot of talk about that going into the year, but I don't think he's put up the numbers to justify going in what's going to be a strong quarterback class. So I think that. Next year, Oklahoma and Iowa State, depending on what happens with Matt Campbell, and I, I would think unless a top two or three job in a power conference called, he's not going anywhere with, with, with what he's building there um, and with the team he has coming back. So I think you'd be looking at Iowa State and Iowa. I mean, I, I think Iowa State and Oklahoma would be clearly the top two ranked teams next year in the preseason coming out of the Big 12. And then what you think of the Iowa program, I mean, that, that would, there would be a lot of hype about that game nationally even. Yep. And then you bring up the, the interesting subplot here. Where do you play it at? Because we missed and, this year. Yeah, we missed this year. I would love to play it at Iowa since we missed a opportunity to play. It seems like the, yeah. the series should be back at Kinnick to uh, make sure it's, it's even. But, uh, you know, Iowa State might not feel that way. Yeah, I would imagine there's going to be a PR war about that and um, a lot of butt hurt about that in the off season. And I'm totally glad I don't have to wade into that space. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, there's going to be some AD, uh, ADs talking uh, back and forth. I, I can guarantee there, you that. There will be some posturing there. Yep. I, like, but you know, Jamie's pretty. Jimmy Pollard's pretty shrewd, as a lot of you guys know. And like, I, I could see him just remaining very quiet about that question until the. The issue is determined about what attendance is going to be. See, that's why I wanted to bring this up. I definitely wanted to bring this up. Yeah, and if attendance is going to still be very light, I could see Jamie simply saying, you know what, we want to honor the legacy of the rivalry. (laughs) And, 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 hey, it was bad what happened last year, but the game should be at Iowa this year. You know what I'm saying? Yep, yep. And then if if Iowa's allowed 50 or 1,000 or more or 40,000 or more fans in that stadium, Maybe there's more of a stink made about, hey, it's actually our turn. You <laughs> know what I'm turn, saying? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, because that does, it's not just the, the home field advantage I'm talking about, it's the financials. Yeah. You know, probably a lot of people listening to us because they're Hawkeye fans have not been to a college football game this year. I have. I went to the Iowa State Texas Tech game. And I'm just telling you, it was, it was great being there. It was a beautiful day. It's totally different than any other atmosphere. You cannot, you could bring your own food in, but it had to be in clear containers. There was almost, I mean, there was maybe 10, 15,000 people there, and they're so spaced out that on a play-to-play basis, you can't really tell 
when you're inside the stadium. It's it's not it, that was not a it, that was not a hugely profitable event for Iowa State. What it did is it knocked down the, the, what they would have lost on the game. But mm-hmm. believe me, they weren't making money on that. It was still a loss. It just wasn't as bad of a one. And so when I talk about how many fans are in the stands, it's it's maybe twenty percent now. That I think about it, it's maybe twenty percent the home field advantage, and then eighty percent is hey, we need the money. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yep. So. I think that's going to factor in, and I would expect maybe we get some off-season posturing from Gary Barta and Jamie Pollard along those lines, depending on how this thing plays out. Uh, you know, and this is where what goes on in the news plays into this. Um, you know, uh, we have promising reports of vaccines, but this would also be the fastest uh, that uh, vaccines that have ever been acquired in the history of human vaccination. So, you know. Are, how much of this are corporations posturing for their stock price? Yep. How safe are the vaccines really? How much will people really eagerly go out and take them? I mean, these are all things that are going to play out here over the next few months in the in the real world that will have something to say about the question that you asked uh, later on next year. Well, and I'm, another thing that uh, we had talked about, which really kind of hit me, is you know maybe these stadiums, you know, and I don't know how they would do it. I don't know if they can do it, but maybe they say, hey, you you can attend if you've had the vaccination. You know, I don't know how you prove that or you know how you um, get well, that. Well, I think that's a terrible precedent to set. Yep. Because it is a form of forced vaccination. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you tell you, you, oh, and we're, by the way, we're not talking about Ebola here. Now, I don't want to, now we're kind of delving off. Topic, <laughs> Sorry, yeah. 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 We're, not, we're not talking about Ebola here. We're talking about something that until basically you reach the age of 80, there's a, there is, unless you have a few pre-morbid comorbidities, uh, morbid obesity, diabetes, heart disease. Um, unless you have a few of those until you reach about the age of 80, there's 98% odds or higher that you will recover from this. You know, and so we start going down the, the the rabbit hole of forced vaccinations on people. And I'm not I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I'm pro-vaccine. I did a mission trip in Haiti a few years ago, and I had to get all my vaccinations updated to go to the poorest country in our hemisphere. Yep. But when you have businesses and big big business entities and big government entities telling people, "Hey, you must you must disavow your bodily autonomy." and inject yourself with something in order to buy and sell uh, in our culture, there's going to be a lot of blowback about things of that nature. Agreed. So, Agreed. You know, we'll, we'll see. Just want to get people back in the stands. That's 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 my, my goal. Um, so uh, wrapping this up, uh, Iowa does have a basketball game today, thankfully. Finally getting back to basketball. Um Man, it has has been a crazy uh, basketball year just for getting a schedule together. They finally did that, like at the the twelfth hour, um, to release that. Uh, they got Iowa State back on our schedule. I'm glad to see that they did that for the rivalry game, especially the way it ended last year. Uh, it was kind of fun with uh, Bohannon, but um, this has got to be one of the best um, expectation wise Iowa teams, certainly in my memory in my lifetime. Um, coming into this year and uh ranked number five not bad uh playing some non-conference games that uh um are on everybody's radar obviously with gonzaga and, and north carolina but um kind of wondering uh what your thoughts are on the the way they've scheduled this uh you know 
non-conference games and conference games uh, with uh, COVID still going the way it is. W- what are your thoughts on, on that? Well, that it could be its own podcast, but I'll, I'll try to give you the Reader's Digest version here. It's been fascinating to watch what Clay Travis calls the Corona Bros who tried to shut down college football all year. They've been nowhere to be found about shutting down basketball, even though it's played indoors. Um, and, and the other thing that we were told by the Corona Bros was, well, college football is a mess because all these conferences have their own autonomy, and there's not a singular power broker dictating things to make it equitable like like and that's what the ncaa should do well we have that in basketball i mean uh, basketball is the ncaa's fiefdom and you're looking at it it's a complete and total disaster they still don't have their testing modules down they're still discussing with the discussing what the testing requirements will be it's, you know it's not like they didn't have time here i mean they shut down college basketball on march 11th today's november 25th they've had an adequate amount of time uh, to settle this they still don't have it settled. You mentioned the schedules and everything else. Um, to me, I, I think they made this way too convoluted and complicated, which is what bureaucracies like the NCAA always do. Here's what they should have done. Everybody plays a 25-game intra-conference schedule. That's it. And it started this week. Everybody plays a 25-game intra-conference schedule, so you're in a de facto intra-conference bubble with your own testing module and everything else. Then you play your conference tournament, then we'll have selection Sunday, and then once you get into the NCAA tournament, every one of those teams has been in a, in a bubble. That's what they should have done. This fly back and forth and uh, non-conference games, listen, I'm fine flying. I've flown a, I've flown a half dozen times in the COVID, this COVID year. I just got back from Disney World, okay? But I'm not like most people, uh, and, and I'm also not – I don't have to worry about the optics of governing – student athletes at a university during a pandemic and does it look like we're using them and you know what i'm saying i I don't have to worry about those things okay athletic directors do and so what they should have just done is we're just playing 25 conference games in every league whether it's whether it is the uh uh you know uh, whatever league winthrop is in the big south i think it is or it's the big 10 everybody's playing 25 conference games all right figure out what your rotation is it starts thanksgiving weekend and stay within your own regional, uh, you know, lane there. And we'll come together when we have a limited amount of teams for March Madness, and that will be a complete bubble. That's what they should have done. Uh, I don't know why they didn't do that, and the fact that they didn't is why this has been a complete and total fuster cluck of epic proportions. We're sitting here taping this. It's 11 a.m. Uh, on game day, and they're still trying to figure out who's – to play in that Mohegan Sun tournament okay <laughs> I mean this is just a, it's just it's just disastrous they just should have made this a simpler choice to make well now in terms of the basketball itself and uh, the Big Ten has been the best league in the country for the last several years running this might be the most loaded I can ever remember and what I am I can't wait to see is Iowa is coming into this season with as much offensive firepower as any team I can remember in our league in recent memory but it's still a defense optional team. And now, you know, they weren't repugnant on defense last year like they were two years ago. They were, I guess we'll call them uh, situationally functional. Is that fair? Yes, yeah, Situationally fair. functional on defense. Okay. Um, what, I, what I can't wait to see is Iowa is going to attempt to attack the deepest Big Ten I can ever remember with a couple of exceptions. They're going to attempt to tackle them, and I don't just mean NCAA tournament teams. I'm talking like 
We have seven teams in the preseason top 25 right now. Yep. So we're not just talking teams, how many Big Ten teams could make the tournament. We're talking how many Big Ten teams could be a Sweet 16 seed, right? That's what we're talking about. Yep. That's what I mean by depth this year, the unprecedented depth. It's how good that depth is. I, I was looking at Ken Palm this morning. I mean, a lot of Big Ten fans probably don't even think probably think Minnesota's on the outside looking in from an NCAA tournament perspective. They're number 30 in Ken Palm's preseason ratings right now, okay? <laughs> I mean, Maryland, which has been one of the best programs in our league the last few years, they're 51st. So this is an unprecedented year, and I was going to attempt to tackle that schedule uh, and that depth in a way that a Big Ten champion doesn't, hasn't really played since the 80s, which is let's get up and down the court, and I just beat you with athletes. And, and you know, we, uh, we play actual basketball, not, uh, you know, hold my hand and, and hand check me up and down the court, yep. uh, Tom Izzo style. And I'm going to be fascinated to see, you know, we won't have fans in the stands. And it's really hard, you know, if you watch the Iowa State era. And you saw this in the Tom Davis era. When both those coaches were there, those were offensive-minded coaches. But what would happen often when they went on the road? and you couldn't impose your pace on the road. They'd lose a lot of times on the road, right? Yep. Well, we don't have fans in the stands now to intimidate the refs and get a call or to get, you know, to, to uh, intimidate your team and, and get them off of uh, off, uh, off uh, kilter. Um, so maybe this is the one year that you could go on the road and say, hey, we can score 85, 90 in every gym because – we don't have the, the, the fans all over us swinging momentum. We don't have yeah. the fans all over the referees intimidating them. And, you know, it's going to be more of a practice scrimmage kind of an atmosphere. So I'm going to be fascinated to see how Iowa attempts to crack the nut. as, it, as It's really the first time probably since, what, the late 80s oh, yeah. that Iowa has been the defined preseason Big Ten basketball favorite, going probably back to BJ and Roy Marble and those guys. Yep. Right? And – and to see, and, and Iowa is going to play like those Iowa teams back in those days played. And I'm going to be fascinated to see if they're going to be able to kind of be. Uh, it's, it, it, imagine in, in Big Ten football, if we just suddenly dropped a few years ago, and we just just Oklahoma decided, all right, we're going to the Big Ten. <laughs> yep. All right, and, and and first one to sixty wins, right? Yep. And would it work? Right? You know what I'm saying? And. That's kind of what I was going to do, and I can't wait to watch it. I think it's going to be a ton of fun. Well, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, only disappointing thing is Iowa doesn't get to play Illinois twice, which that was a scheduling. Just I can't believe the Big Ten would have allowed that with the two best teams. Um, it's just one game. We don't have a, a, a duo there. But um, I think a lot of people are putting uh, a lot of emphasis on, on Garza, and, and they should be. He's, he's definitely going to be uh, one of the best players in the country. Um, almost player of the year last year in the entire league. But uh, he's going to be doing a lot more defense um, than he has ever done. Last year he had to kind of step up and, and be that offensive guy and was averaging incredible numbers, like 23, 24 points uh, a game um, on average. I think that goes down. I don't think he's going to get that this year, and that's okay. I think it's one of the you know, first years that it is going to be a true team collaborative effort and i think he's going to actually uh, do a lot more on the defensive side of the ball that now, is a, that that is good analysis joe because there's another factor in that you don't typically see with players that the reality is he actually as athletic as the nba is 
he, he, as skilled as he is, he's still not offensively skilled enough to justify probably a first round or a guaranteed contract draft pick to. And here's why. Because he, he, because the, the, or because you, that's why he came back. You're too much of a liability on the defensive end, meaning that you can't score enough. You're plus minus. That's a big stat now in the NBA. That's like their version of war in baseball. Your plus minus isn't going to be good enough to. You're not even. You're not good enough to justify with the minus you are at the other end. And so I would imagine this is going to be one of the rare cases where a guy came back to show he could play defense. Right? <laughs> Most guys come back. Hey, I want to show you that I got. I got a handle. I can take the ball off. I got to attack the basket. I, I, I came back to show you I got a perimeter jump shot. So I'm out here just playing jacking up threes. Right. Mm-hmm. This is one of the rare cases where a guy comes back to school to show. I can play defense. And so there, that may be a situation, as you were alluding to, that he knows this. Him and his father are obviously very self-aware. And, and they, I think, understand what scouts want to see from them. And then you wonder if he adopts more of that kind of a mentality. Does that permeate the rest of the program? And maybe it's not the first one to 85 wins every night. That, that will be something to watch this year. That's a good point. Yeah, I'm, I'm, thank you for that. No, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to that, um, you know, actually through doing less on the offensive side, he can do more because he gets freed up. And they have a lot of people. I mean, you have Jordan Bohannon coming back, able to uh, shoot the three. Hopefully he's still able to off of two hip surgeries. Um, ah, it's going to be fun. I, I can't wait to see who they bring out today uh, for the uh, uh, starting five. Um, been some conjecture whether Bohannon would be starting today. I, I think he will be. Um, but, yeah, it's at uh, 3 o'clock uh, p.m. on BTN. Um, against uh, NCCU, so looking forward to that. Um, other than that, all right, uh, man, good stuff. Yeah, uh, thank you for uh, coming back. Um, I'm glad uh, you got to have a vacation, and uh, look forward to talking uh, basketball and the wrapping up of the football season with you. You bet, brother. Take care. Thanks hey, for having me. You too. Thanks, Steve. Hope you had a happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Uh, all you Hawkeyes out there getting ready for this weekend. And, you know, we're going to uh, stretch that Nebraska game out to six. Going to enjoy that. And basketball has already begun with a victory. So get ready for more. Can't wait to uh, talk to you again on Monday. And as always, go Hawks.